Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Look who's back. It's my co-host, R.G. Seal. And as John Sebastian would say, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Wow, welcome back, Cotter reference. <laughs> Do you know the history of that song with John Sebastian and the Love and Spoonful? Yeah, I don't know if I've got history. I think it was just John Sebastian, but he was in the Love and Spoonful. No, he was in the Loving Spoonful. There you go. All right. You're the guy that's like the classic hits. Uh, you know you're Mr. Cotter and you know you're Vinnie Barbarino and you're uh, Arnold Horshack and all that too, I know. So how was the holidays and New Year's? Anything interesting happened? You go out partying on New Year's and in L.A. with the celebs? Yeah, of course, you know, hitting all the nightclubs in Los Angeles. But really, the biggest story out of uh, like 2019 is that uh, James Harden still hasn't had a game that's been under 30 points. I mean, that's that's how you kick off 2019 with a bang. He's just laying waste to, you know, Kobe Bryant records right now. He's got got the most consecutive 30-point games since the ABA-NBA merger in 1976 now. He took over or took out Kobe on Monday night. He's now three games away from Wilt Chamberlain's streak in 1964, which is 20 straight games of 30 or more. And Monday, RG throws up 57 points in 34 minutes, but to me, what's even more ridiculous was who was on the floor with them when the Rockets won by 18 points. You got Rivers and House who were picked up midseason waivers this year. Gerald Green midseason waivers last year. Gary Clark's undrafted. Hartenstein, P.J. Tucker, and James Ennis are second-round picks. Marquise Chris stinks and will be out of the league next year. And Nene is 63 years old and sits in a rocking chair on the second night of back-to-backs. I mean, what the what is that? Yeah, I mean, he's kind of like, he put the S on his chest. He's Superman right now, and he's, you know, basically saving, uh, you know, the metropolis. I mean, he's, uh, you know, taking all the Rockets guys, like you said, making them better because, I mean, with all of these uh, potential cast-offs around him from discarded from the Island of Misfit Toys, right? I mean, they're all here on the Rockets, kind of been assembled. But you also have to remember that, you know, the rocket system here in the way that under Mike D'Antoni, Austin Rivers said it himself, it's a pleasure to play here, to play within this system. And James Harden is just having such an incredible stretch right now. I mean, he's really taking his game to another level. And people are calling him potentially the greatest offensive player of all time in the NBA. I know not the greatest player of all time, but just offensive skills, what he can do just he's unstoppable and so i mean it's really been a pleasure to watch it's been a pleasure to watch for you but according to all the national guys oh james harden's boring and we hate watching it we hate the drawing fouls and yeah it's just i i just i don't get it because uh you watch james harden at this point and it's you know the guy's the step back three you know we talked about a little bit last week with david hardesty and that's become the skyhook. It is the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar skyhook. He is the only one that can do this, uh, it looks like. And and he's doing this. It's it's this move, I guess you would call it, that nobody else can solve. They can't get it, get to him in time. I mean, to me, it, it's just remarkable what he's been able to do uh, this year to up his game because he was the MVP last year and he's better. RG, he's better. He might. He's not just like two percent better. I think he's probably like twenty percent better the way he's playing, at least over the last three weeks. No, he is. I mean, he's been sensational. I mean, you don't have a stretch like this where uh, you know you're you're getting uh, tossed around with names like Oscar Robertson, Robertson and uh, Wilt Chamberlain and Kobe Bryant. You know, I mean, those are uh, you know titans of the NBA, all time legends. Uh, if you're not having some kind of great stretch of basketball, but, I mean, I, not only the step back three, it's just so many other things. He has a great court vision. He passes the ball well. He draws fouls. We know he can get to the line. He's mastered that. There's just so many things you just can't stop him. You say, okay, put it on the blackboard before the game starts, right? Uh, stop James Harden, double team him, triple team him. He still can't be stopped. I mean, he's going through that type of stretch right now. And it's still, hopefully it will bold well for the Rockets when they get their full complement of players back. Because like you said, he's doing it with a bunch of guys who have been released around the league or are bench players or, you know, guys who 
you wouldn't normally think of as 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 star caliber players. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're going to be getting Chris Paul back, hopefully healthy. They're going to be getting Eric Gordon back. And of course, you know, it's a big blow to lose Clint Capella because James Harden and Clint Capella are a great tandem, great pick and roll duo. And uh, hopefully, you know, after he's out for four to six weeks and comes back and you have that healthy roster, hopefully, again, we're keeping our fingers crossed going in the playoffs. You really feel like you can do some damage. Yeah, I, I got to get into Clint Capella because I, I don't know what you think. I don't know what Daryl thinks. I, I'm going to get your thoughts in a second. But, you know, to me, it's an emergency situation. I, I'd argue that Capella is more valuable than Chris Paul. I mean, everybody knows about Capella's defense and his rebounding. But I, I think we forget about the pressure that he takes off Harden. When, when James goes to the basket on the pick and roll with Capella, he doesn't draw as much attention because of Capella, I mean, it, it you know he's going to take more punishment at the rim now. He's he's also going to be banging harder to help with rebounds, and of course he needs to score more at this point. RG, I don't think they can band aid this with Nene, Gary Clark, Hartenstein, and I'll just call him the throw in contract. You you know him as Marquise Chris, but. I, I just don't know if you can band aid with just those guys. Yeah, I, I I don't know I don't know either. It just depends on the over the next few weeks. Of course, Daryl Morey is going to look to do something. The, the Rockets. I, we know by March first when they're the buyouts. You have the trading deadline, and what once was a, a big need for the Rockets going the three and D route. It's now okay. The, it was before Clint Capella got injured. It was looking at a backup for him. Now, like you said, it's a number one priority. Find another big man because also the rebounding. I mean, that's something the Rockets, when they were struggling, when they were losing, they were getting killed on the boards and the rebounding. And and Clint Capella averages 17.6 points, over 12 boards a game. I mean, the guy is essential to the Rockets, like you mentioned. And and at least now with Austin Rivers, you brought in another point guard who who could potentially he's not Chris Paul like he was Chris Paul's backup in Los Angeles with the Los Angeles Clippers I mean Chris Paul is one of the all-time greats so so we know that but I I think you're right in that that they need to address that however I think that Daryl Morey is also looking at it well if Chris Paul can come back within the next week and Eric Gordon come back within the next week you know whatever the timetable is here at least Eric Gordon is supposedly supposed to come back you know by the Lakers game on Saturday we'll see uh, maybe even earlier but uh, Chris Paul should be back also within the next couple of weeks. So then you maybe you just change your strategy. You're, you have a little bit where you can, you know, you have these two added, uh, you know, assets to your roster. They'll be part of the rotation. And you try to get by, like you said, with the Gary Clark, the Nene, and, and maybe the Isaiah Hartenstein uh, for just that period of time while you're looking. So you don't want to make a desperation move to go out and get a big guy and see what develops, you know, and. Again, to me, it's more the Rockets playing kind of like, yes, you have to think that uh, about the long term here. You have to think about like how you make a run for the playoffs, but you also can't, you know, mortgage your future, just short term panic move. So, I mean, and there, and there will be things that happen in February. Teams are going to end up buying out players. We see it every year, you know, trading deadline. Uh, you have the moves that are made then because teams, you know, they've been holding their cards. They don't want to trade till the trading deadline. And then after that, players get buyouts who are traded or maybe with their current teams and they want to leave and go pursue a championship elsewhere. And you're going to have that option, too. So you just can't panic. I know you look at the schedule and all that. And, oh, well, you know, this or that. And the Rockets might fall out of the playoff where I do that. But with the way James Harden's playing right now and getting Chris Paul back and, and getting Eric Gordon back, hopefully you can be like, a, you know, offensive firepower there. Try to outscore teams, you know, do, win, win, win with small ball. And then go get Clint Capella back and then get your big man, too. So we'll see what happens. Daryl Moore is a very smart guy. He's, he's going over all these things as we speak. Yeah, Chris Paul's not going to help your interior defense. Either is Eric Gordon. They're not going to help too much with the rebounding pressure. And I just don't really trust, uh, you know, Chris Paul is basically the, the Rockets version of Kiki QT. So I'm not going to trust that he's going to come back for you know, the rest of the season, just because he's coming back in a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll see. But, you know, he could go out a couple of games. I mean, we know the Chris Paul uh, hamstring issue, but uh, I'm going to throw out a couple of options that one of our Twitter followers suggested. The Atlanta Hawks have two expiring big men, Alex Len and Dwayne Dedman. The money on their contracts, it's not big. You can give up maybe Nene, uh, Marquise Chris, or whatever filler and a second round pick. And I think you could pry that away from the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, there, there, there are no dreams for the Hawks of 
playoffs or championships. And Deadman would be ideal because he's also added a three-point shot this year. But both guys, you know, with defense and rebounding, they're, they're both double digits on a per 36 basis. You know, to me, it's, it'd be as a huge mistake to piecemeal this together until the buyouts or the trade deadline because it's going to be a while. You know, th- that's another almost month away. The deadline is uh, February the 7th and then trade, you know, the buyout stuff. That, that happens over the course of the next few weeks. So I, I just don't think you can wait for that. I mean, I, I consider it an emergency, RG, at this point. Well, but I, you also have to look at your salary cap structure. I'm not a capologist. So you have to look at that. You have to look at, like, how it, it you know, acquiring another player, like you said, would – you know, sure. If it's if it is like Marquise, uh, Chris, there that you uh, end up trading trading away, plus a second round pick, yeah, do it in a heartbeat. But we don't know if that's what Atlanta would take. We don't know that they might be saying first rounder, and you're not going to trade a first rounder to you know just for a short term fix here for you know, that that type of player. So I mean, we just don't know. And so Daryl Morey again sifting through his options, sifting through you know what he can possibly do here, and you know at 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 least. You know, the next game is against Brooklyn. That's at home. The Los Angeles Lakers game that's coming up, you know, LeBron could be back for that one. But, you know, he still is uh, very much in doubt. He might not be back. So then you're playing a Lakers team without LeBron James and you're at home. So you can get a couple of wins here. Keep padding up your 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 wins in, in the short term here and then see what develops on the trade front. Yeah, to me, it's also not just about you know, winning these games, it's taking some pressure off of James Harden. Well, that's just not going to happen right now. And we know that because, I mean, it, it, that's going to come when it, when when Chris Paul comes back, when, uh, you know, Eric Gordon comes back, when Clint Capella comes back. I mean, James Harden's going to carry the brunt of this load for the he has been. And uh, and that's going to be something to watch come playoff time. Is he going to get some if the Rockets are you know, somehow clinch a spot, you know, towards the end of the regular season. Do you, I mean, Harden always wants to play. Do you, you I mean, you, they can reduce his minutes. Do you, do you rest him a game or two, get him ready for the playoffs? And he's got something to prove in the playoffs because as we know, uh, over the years, he's had his critics in the playoffs. He's had some sensational outings and then he's completely disappeared. So, I mean, this will be a huge playoffs for James Harden. And it's not necessarily a fait accompli that they're in the playoffs. I mean, it, like I said, this is a, Difficult. If you're not going to have Clint Capella for the next 15 to 20 games, and you're not going to get anything close to uh, that t- sort of productivity, and I, I think he's such a huge guy. You know, look, the West they're they're fourth uh, as we speak, but you know, you you lose two or three in a row, and you're in the eighth spot or the ninth spot, and there's there's good teams all up and down the West. I mean, the the Kings are no joke. They're hanging around above 500. The Lakers are no joke above 500. And they're in the nine and ten spot. And we know LeBron; he's going to put them back in it. And you got uh, the Utah Jazz are in the eight spot, and they're starting to gain a little bit of momentum. They're seven and three in their last ten. And the Spurs are the Spurs, and the Clippers, you know, tons of depth, and they're not going anywhere. I don't think. And the Trailblazers. I mean, all these teams right now are a little bit below as you and I speak, RG. But uh, it, it, it's it's no joke. The West is no joke, and, and you got to get in there. And every single game. Without your stars and without Capella, it's going to be a, you know, they, they lost to Orlando with Capella, but they didn't have, of course, Eric Gordon and Chris. I mean, but that's the thing. They're, they're always without somebody right now. And, and, and that's an issue. But yeah, but I mean, you keep mentioning all this and falling. Look, I mean, the Western Conference, it's a beast. We know that we know it's deep. And it's like, like you said, the Los Angeles Lakers right now out of it. And LeBron's going to come back and he's going to vault them into the playoffs. Yes. OK. I mean, we know this stuff, but. The Rockets are also going to be getting back again, Chris Paul, and they're going to be getting back uh, Eric Gordon. That will help out with, with the load with James Harden. Yes, it's not Clint Capella, but I just don't see going. I, I guess I disagree with you. Like, oh my gosh, go out, panic move, have to do something, unless it's the right move. If they can get a big man, if a big man's available that's with, within the Rockets' terms where they can add him to the roster where it's not going to cost yeah, them. All I'm saying is like a second round pick. This is not. It's not a panic move. Well, but it'd be, I, I don't know if that's if, you know, somebody's going to do that. Then you add that. Yeah, it has to be the salary. There are a lot of different things that go into it. I'm again, I'm not an expert on it. So I yeah, I just think that if there's an opportunity there, it's available right now, then you can do it. But I want it all of a sudden, you know, again, teams can also look at it and they can say, well, the Rockets, they're in a desperation mode right now that, you know, hey, you know, they don't have Clint Capella for a month and they've got this schedule coming up like what you would say. And and. 
You know, we want a sec- we want we don't want a second round pick. We want a first round pick if you're going to trade us, you know, Marquise Chris or Brandon Knight. You know, so I mean, or you're going to have to part with somebody that you don't want to part with, like a you know, if they sign Daniel House or whatever. I mean, it's just like to to an NBA contract, right? Uh, uh, I, I'm. I'm not sure about all the rules with that or how how players are traded within that or or maybe they want Gary Clark or something. I don't know. But it's just like, do you do that? Do you sacrifice, you know, for for the uh, for the short term so you can have a big guy come in and then all of a sudden, you know, you kind of, you know, hamstring yourself for the future. So that's just uh, that that, those are just kind of the possibilities that Daryl Morey has to think about here. And hey, I mean, I, you know, they already won a game against Memphis. They have the Nets coming up, a big game against the Lakers. I mean, again, just pile up wins, get Chris Paul back, get Eric Gordon back in the rotation. And I mean, those guys will help immensely. And, you know, like you said, I mean, there are, there are things that will be hurting them defensively, but we'll see what they can possibly do as far as, you know, again, with like, a, you know, Gary Clark and, and, and Nene, Nene still can give you some rebounds. He can still give you some interior defense. So let's not forget about him if he plays. He doesn't play many back to backs, of course. And they won't play him more than a you know like fifteen twenty minutes a night. I but just, he still, when he's in there, he can he can do some. He's things. fine. He's fine. I, I still, to me, they you know some of these guys. You might also look for somebody that's just more of a long term answer because you need somebody that's more of a long term answer to back up Capella. Well, and that's something that again I think that they'll be looking for the money. I think you're just like pressed into the. Oh, it's got to be within the next week or two, and they've got to get somebody because there's a stretch of games, and we don't know what's going to happen until the trading deadline, and and then and then the buyout period, and the Rockets could fall to the ninth or tenth yeah, spot. Well, a loss or two this year could matter. That's a difference between not just making the playoffs and not, but maybe home field home court advantage and not home court advantage. But in I the don't first think round. with the Rockets. See, that's again where I disagree with you. I think that because of their slow start this season, starting off eleven and fourteen. I think the biggest thing now, especially Chris Paul said early in the season, I don't care who we play. I don't think that they can beat us in a seven-game series. I, you know, And that, that kind of gave me the thing. With, last year, it was all about, well, we got to get the number one seed. we got to have home court for the Golden State Warriors. We had to do that. Now they're just saying, let's just make the playoffs. Yeah, but come you know, on. I mean, we, we saw the Rockets do this like once, and they were the only team in history to do it that didn't have like a top four seed. I, I but I think if James Harden keeps playing at an MVP level, if they get their players back, if they, if you know, it, it, in the way that they played over the last, yeah. Couple- but James Harden is pl- playing at a rate right now, at a usage rate, and a, he's going to slow down. He's going to cool. This cannot last forever. But, but guess what? When that slowdown happens, what is that within the next week or two? Then you have an Eric Gordon, hopefully back in the lineup. You have a Chris Paul, hopefully back in the lineup. Those guys can pick up the offensive slack. Yeah. And so well, that, again, that, that, again with Chris Paul. Okay, we'll see. And Eric Gordon has, has, has been a terrible shooter this year. So it, it, let's see what those guys can give when they come back. I mean, it, I, I, I am just not – I'm not betting my life that Eric Gordon and his 30% three-point shooting and, and Chris Paul and his hamstrings are going to be a guaranteed lock to, to, to be a huge help while Clint Capella is out for the next you know month and a half. And I, I just think people under – estimate him but well I, I i agree with you but look i talked to when you were talking about like over the off season you were saying hey well i don't you know necessarily resign clink but i said this guy's one of the best young big men in the nba oh i, I never said let him go i never would have said well, no, that. but you said there was a price and you could put him in with another type player that would be similar uh you know and that that you, you know there was a certain limit as far as the contract that you would go but i was just saying that this you know in the off season we recognize that Clint Capella is like one of the top young big man on the uh, NBA. Yeah, and, and yeah. I, I, well, my point was that if Clint, if you're playing Clint Capella, uh, you know, something stupid like John Wall money or something like that. But no, I mean, I, I thought if it's 20, it's around 20 million. That's a whole other conversation we can go into. But just I just want to remind everybody because I, I, I do want to we got to talk some Texans and Astros as well. But, you know, we had this extensive, extensive conversation I had with uh the man behind the Rockets powerhouse fan site, clutchfans.net last week. It's definitely worth the listen. We delved further into Harden, looked at Golden State's potential vulnerability, maybe, and the emergence of uh, Daniel House, some other Rockets stuff there. So so go look, listen to that. But, um, RG, before we get into the Texans, I got to ask you, you know, I, I'm, I'm watching Twitter. I see LeBron celebrating in the Rams locker room after the Cowboys game. Wait, wait, wait a second. Wasn't he a Cowboys fan like a week ago or something? <laughs> 
what are you saying? LeBron's a bandwagon jumper and stuff like that. Come on. He's just like supporting like Los Angeles. Got to support the home team. Right. I mean, would you want to see like if, uh, you know, the Green Bay Packers at J.J. Watt come to the game at NRG and a Green Bay Packer cheesehead like type thing? Or would you want to see him maybe with a Texans jersey and a cheesehead? So, you know, being basically kind of like straddle the fence between both do you want to be able to support your home team you have to be able to support the local community don't and i think he learned his lesson in cleveland when he showed up in a yankees hat that one year right when they were playing uh several years ago and lebron came in a yankees cap and and it got you know booed by cleveland indians fans so i mean yeah you don't want to you don't want to turn off the local fans yeah he'll be wearing a patriots hat probably by the end of the (laughs) season but uh hey yeah let's get into the texans a little bit rg what did you think of the Colts game and just kind of general thoughts on the Texans as they wrapped up the season. I mean, there's, there's a lot well, it was of a disappointing. It was a disappointing performance and I just don't see how, I mean, again, I, I want to credit Bill O'Brien for being able to keep the team together after an on three start and, and have that uh, winning streak. But to, to, to have these playoff games were killed by Andy Reid a, a few years ago he, his only win in the playoffs was, of course, against that team, uh, the Raiders team that didn't have a uh, car in the game, had backup quarterback. And then this past one, I mean, it just looked like he was cle- completely outcoached from the very beginning of that game. And uh, and I, I just look back at this season and and the Texans losses. Who did he lose to? He lost to, OK, Bill Belichick. He lost to uh, Doug Peterson. Uh, you know, he lost to Frank Reich twice. You know, and then who are some of the teams that he beat? Well, you know, of course, like a, a, a Vance Joseph, who ends up getting fired by Denver. You know, he ends up uh, beating a, uh, a New York Jets team, Todd Bowles. They fired their their coach, Adam Gase, you know, with Miami fired after he's hired again by the New York Jets. But uh, Greg Williams, who wasn't retained by the, the Cleveland Browns. So, I mean, I like to look at it as he got all of those guys fired, RG. That that was just b- the greatness of yeah, all I, of I'm, I, again, I, I don't I'm just saying that he's he's I just don't know if he's he's a good coach. I don't know if he's a great coach. And that preparation for the Texans game, it just seemed like, you know, they were they were. They were in a hole. I mean, you get down 21 to nothing at home. I mean, there's really no excuse for that. And I know that, you know, Deshaun Watson didn't have a very good game as far as, you know, his, um, what what happened there for him. But, I mean, I still have a lot of faith. I mean, Deshaun Watson really made a lot of strides this past season. He is a franchise quarterback. And, I mean, but the big thing going into the offseason, we know the Texans have to fix their offensive line. If you if you look at what the good teams do, the ones that win, they're they're deep in the trenches. They have players that are you know offensive line, defensive line. Texans need to fix that offensive line. He can't be sacked sixty two times again. I know he holds onto the ball, but even so, you saw the difference with Andrew Luck. He was mauled for years behind a bad offensive line, and then this year, finally, a very good offensive line made a huge difference. They went to the second round of the playoffs before being ousted by the Kansas City Chiefs. But I think in the future, I mean, the Texans need to look at their defense, too. I mean, of course, they're going to have to add to their secondary. Uh, they're going to have to uh, look again. I think uh, re- replenishing the defensive front front line, uh, still having, you know, more of that pass rush, which I think was sporadic this year. Even though they had the great J.J. Watt and Jadavion Clowney and these big names, they still need to generate more consistent pass rush. And, and, and again, we get back to the secondary where they had, you know, some holes this past season. So, I mean, they have some work to do this offseason. Uh, they, they definitely need to to make improvements. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, going forward. I mean, we'll see what they do. They have money in free agency. They, you know, they have all the draft picks. So it's not going to be easy because this division now, the AFC South, I don't know what your thoughts are on this. You, you've been doing, of course, an NFL a podcast, but. I mean, that that Chris Ballard uh, led Indianapolis Colts team that he's put together as a GM over there. It's it's very, very good. They're young. They're deep. And that's what's scary. Um, but you can only take care of yourself. At the same time, the Texans have no excuses. I mean, the other teams in the division might be great, but you've got to put together a great organization yourself. And, you know, you go out there and win it. You know, not everybody's going to get lucky like the New England Patriots and have a, a crummy uh, teams in your division for over a stretch of years. But the Patriots are great. They set the gold standard. They just have had like crummy opponents, uh, you know, 
in that AFC East for many years. Yeah, I feel like recently I've just become the attorney for the defense. I'm kind of trying to be the Johnny Cochran for Bill O'Brien's OJ a lot of the time. And I just, he gets killed. Look, the the, the Colts matchup was terrible. It was an awful matchup for the Texans because everything that the Texans do well, the Colts could counter. I mean, the Texans have J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney. Well, they went up against the best offensive line for most of the season anyway. Uh, it didn't look too great against the Chiefs, but the best offensive line in the NFL at protecting their quarterback. And if you look at the Colts, they've got T.Y. Hilton, the deep threat. And, of course, the Texans have issues with deep threat wide receivers. And the, the Colts, um, everything that they do is kind of right the opposite of of the Texans and somehow I don't know what happened but the Texans who were good all year against the run they gave up 140 yards against Marlon Mack and you know just stuff that you're not expecting to happen like DeAndre Hopkins to disappear they found a guy to to take care of DeAndre Hopkins the last two times they faced the Texans which nobody else has been able to do I don't know if I can blame that one on Bill O'Brien Deshaun Watson looked like he was inaccurate as inaccurate as I've seen him all season that's not to me on a Bill O'Brien necessarily I mean he missed some easy throws he missed a touchdown in the end zone with DeAndre Hopkins who was open on a fourth and one uh there's a lot of stuff that happened in that game is not Bill O'Brien and I I guess everybody wants to just pile on him and look well, not everything, but you get off to that slow a start in that game. You you fall behind twenty one to nothing when you're at home, and of course, everybody in the stadium knew coming into the game that T T Y Hilton was a Texans killer and and do that, and instead he gets you know a single coverage there at the beginning of the game. Yeah, but and, you know, I made uh, the point, and I made the point in the in um in locked on Texans that hey, look, the the first drive, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, there was a pass that a long pass that could have been either a pass interference or Hopkins could have caught. He got one hand on it. Usually when he gets one hand on it, it's a catch, but it also could have been a pass interference. The second drive, Vincent Smith dropped a pass on the five yard line that hit him right in the chest. That would have been a touchdown or a field goal or something that would have slowed down the momentum. There was, you know, there, there was a uh, first down that they got. They were already had started to drive really well, but Kiki QT who, hadn't played all year, was lined up in the wrong place, and it, it, you know, it backed him up, and it ended that drive. There was some, some stuff that happened offensively that was out of OB's control. And then on the defensive side, you know, I don't think OB has much of a say. I think Romeo Cornell does what he does, and, and I also just think they've got some major personnel issues. I mean, they really need two brand-new cornerbacks, and you're not going to win the Super Bowl with the cornerbacks yeah, they part had. of it, Look, part of it's personnel, part of it's thing. Look, you, the, pay, the, uh, the, the uh, San Diego Chargers, or excuse me, I say San Diego all the time. The Los Angeles Chargers go back in that game when they're getting killed by the Patriots, but there's a window in that game, and even Tony Romo talked about it, when uh, you know there was that punt. They finally stopped the New England Patriots, and it goes off – and uh, to to the Chargers, they they fumble the ball, and New England recovers it and goes on and scores. If they if the Chargers get that ball, they score. Then they get the very beginning of the next half. They get the ball again, and potentially it's a different game. There's always like these scenarios. Well, oh, it could potentially be different um, if if things would happen. And that's with the Texans game. You're right. I mean, if that DeAndre Hopkins call happens and Texans get up, you know, inside uh, deep inside the Colts territory, score a touchdown, make it seven to seven, maybe it's a different ball game. Just saying over the course of it, what happened, and, and there are personnel things like you said that the Texans need to address as far as their cornerbacks. But it, what we can say is that. Bill O'Brien was outcoached by Frank Wright. His team looked more prepared. They looked more disciplined, structured, ready for that game than the Texans did playing at home. I don't think they look more disciplined. I just think they look like they have more talent. I mean, everybody thinks the Texans are loaded just because you see J.J. Watt and DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson. That's fine. Uh, if you look at the at the other guys on the roster, it's it's a the Colts have a whole roster. But but again, you have to harness that talent. How many times have we watched with the Houston Oilers over the years when the Oilers had the most talent and they ended up losing because of coaching or because of some kind of mishap or some yeah, kind of thing happened? Because of you, when you lose because you've got more talent, then it is coaching. But the Texans, I, I don't think they had more talent. Their offensive line is terrible. 
Their their running backs are terrible. Their tight ends are terrible. Their wide receivers outside of Deshaun Watson. And I don't think Indianapolis here was at such a great advantage talent wise. I mean, they still are rebuilding their look, I I agree with you that Andrew Lux had a great season. They have a, a very strong, one of the best offensive yeah, but lines. The, the, and the they, guys that you do count on to to be great um for the Texans weren't. Like I said, the, the Texans all year long counted on DeAndre Hopkins, Deshaun Watson, and J.J. Watt. All three of them were missing in action most of that game. Yes, I mean, you have to put great players in a position to succeed, too. But let's not, like, give the coaching staff a blank slate and say, oh, okay, they don't deserve any blame for that loss, too. That's why all I'm trying to say is that, to me, there was also some coaching mistakes in that one. And it was also the preparation of Bill O'Brien going into that game. He got outcoached by Frank Reich. I mean, at the end of the day, he got outcoached. That's happened to him against Andy Reid in the playoffs. That's happened to him against Frank Reich. And uh, it would have happened to him when the Raiders, uh, you know, in that too. But, uh, you know, he was going up against a backup quarterback, basically making his first or second start or whatever. So, I mean, it was just, that was, that was like a gimme. And then he got outcoached by, of course, as he always does, the, the the Jedi master to, to you know, Bill O'Brien there. You know, I mean, it's like his Bill Belichick. So, I mean, it's just like we've seen this time and again. I mean, I'm not trying to disparage him because he had a good regular season. He had he did rebound. Uh, I mean, I may make that point that he did rebound to get the Texans, you know, for back from an 0-3 start when nobody thought that would be possible to get them to win a division and have a home playoff game. So excellent job in that matter. I'm not saying to fire him. I'm just saying it was disappointing. And he's shown that, you know, going up against higher caliber coaches, a lot of times he comes up on the short end of the stick. So in order for the Texans to make that next move forward, it's not only acquiring more talent, but it's also the coaching staff. And, and I don't know if Bill O'Brien's coaching staff will ever be able to do that is is becoming a great head coach, not just a good head coach that loses to superior head coaches. So, you know what I'm saying? That's that's all that I'm getting at with this kind of point here. Good head coach. But can he be a great one that leads a team to a Super Bowl? Yeah, we're going to agree to disagree because I don't think he was out coached. I mean, it might have been an even Steven. I think he was out talented and, the, and his stars did not uh, perform. And sometimes it's not on the coach. Sometimes your players just don't do the job, but we're going to agree to disagree on that. Let's get get to the Astros. Before we talk about them, just make sure you've heard uh, my conversation last week with Astros minor league expert Jimmy Price. Real interesting look at the J.D. Davis deal. Uh, we talk about the potential surprising call-ups this year uh, from the minor leagues and his take on who should be the Astros' fifth starter between Josh James or Framber Valdez if it does indeed come down to those two guys. But uh RG, the Brewers signed Yasmani Grandal on a one-year $18 million deal. Really good catcher. Should Luno have made that offer? They already got uh, Robinson Chirnos in, in there to go along, and they're still potentially looking at JT Realmuto. And you asked me just for one season on that, 18.2, that, that's a lot to commit to the catcher position. And Yasmani Grandal is one of the better catchers in the game, but remember he had all the problems in the playoffs Two with the past balls, the Dodgers benched him. And a couple of years in a row, they played Austin Barnes in critical moments. So I, you know, the Astros always look at the value of a player, and they probably determine, you know, hey, one year, eighteen million. I think it's a good fit for Milwaukee, uh, you know. But with the 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 Astros, I still think they're in the the JT Real Muto. They're just not going to trade. I don't think Kyle Tucker. Or, uh, of course, Forrest Whitley for him. But if that price comes down and then they can go out and acquire a catcher like JT Realmoto from the Marlins, that would be their preference. And and if not, they're OK with kind of going forward with Chirinos and Stasi heading into the season. But I, I want to ask you, uh, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that, that Richard Justice had uh, an article up on mystery teams because there are always those mystery teams that are potentially thrown out for the big free agents and baseball is still kind of at a standstill right now because the two big guns of the offseason Bryce Harper and Manny Machado haven't signed but Richard Justice put a list of like five teams that could potentially be mystery teams in on the bidding for for Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and one of the ones they mentioned for Bryce Harper was uh the Houston Astros no thanks no thanks. No thanks. Okay. No thanks. Don't don't Why? want to spend the money on. Uh, I, I just don't think the, these guys that are the, the, these three hundred million dollar contracts. I, I just I don't know if it's worth spending it on on those type of guys. Altuve, to me, it, it's another. It's a whole other story because 
you know, he's been in the organization. He, I feel like you're also paying for having somebody that's uh, really been a pillar to the community. And we know what we get with Altuve. And, and Altuve has affected winning, I think, a lot more than Bryce Harper has. With, with And he's come up in big-time situ, big situations in the playoffs where we haven't seen it as much with Bryce Harper. I mean, the Nationals have had some issues in the playoffs. But that's not all on Bryce Harper, too. I mean, it, It's not uh, all on him, but... And, and Bryce Harper also is is one of the biggest draws in baseball. So as far as like, you know, merchandising and like te- television, primetime star, I mean, that I, as great as the stars of the Astros have, I mean, uh, Bryce Harper is probably the most visible face in baseball right now. I just don't like going around, throwing around these $300 million contracts. That's the b- biggest reason of all. Well, what if you get, what if it wasn't a 10 year contract? What was an eight year deal? He's 26 years old. You would have him till his age 34 season. It might be a 10 year deal. You're right. I mean, I agree with you. Once you pass that 30, then you're on the, the, the hook for these. And Bryce Harper's had injury problems. But if the, the Astros are trying to go all for it right now, win right now. And the owner just did say a, a couple of weeks ago, like Jim Crane says, we still have some room to maneuver here. Uh, you know, we could add, sal- you know, we'll add additional salary for this season and get up to 200 million. Uh, you know, they still haven't signed that or traded for that pitcher yet starting pitcher. I, I'm just saying, uh, throwing it out there as a possibility that, you know, uh, you know, kind of fun talk here, you know, what it could, could a uh, Bryce Harper, you know, potentially, cause the Astros remember Ken Rosenthal reported it too. You remember uh, the Astros were uh, going to trade for him. They had a deal in place and it was vetoed at the last minute by ownership. Yeah. And there's a danger to me for the Astros. I mean, you, you think it's going to, it's going to last forever. Cause you got Jeff Luno and, uh, Oh, we got these good young players or whatever. But we know good and well that, you know, Verlander could be gone. Your main guy, that, the only guy you really feel like you can count on of the starters going forward as an as a big time ace guy is Garrett Cole. And if you're the Astros, you know, you've got to think in terms of, hey, we've got to constantly just let's massage our payroll. Let's make sure we're not we don't get in too deep on stuff, because, you know, if, if the crap hits the fan, you've got to be able to pull the you know, a rip cord and maybe you have to start selling off some guys and stuff. You don't want to have a guy that you can't sell off or something like that. And I, I just, I'm just not a believer baseball, putting a ton of money into one guy. Uh, I'm just not a huge believer in it. I mean, you'd have to tell me the contract, I guess, but you know, and, and, and I go back to, you know, just to backtrack a little bit on the grand all thing um, to me, that a one-year deal for $18 million it's, that's not bad at all. You're going to give up some real stuff to get uh, real Muto. It's you're not giving you wouldn't give up anything for Grandal. So there's the difference between that two. But also, you know, just that money you might be able to get rid of if you could somehow uh, get somebody to take a Josh Reddick off your hands, and you might be able to give up much, uh, you know, much less minor league contracts than you would to get a real Muto just to get Josh Reddick off your hands if you've got to give that up at all. I mean, I love Josh. I think Reddick. the only way you're giving up a Josh Reddick though is just what you said right there. You're going to have to include him in a package with a, one of your top prospects. Like, if, okay, J.B. Boskowskis and, and Josh Reddick going somewhere, you know, something like that. Because you aren't going to – nobody – I just don't see somebody trading for that contract. What is it, $13 million a year, uh, you know, with his declining productivity. Uh, they're not just going to take on that contract unless you are putting it, you know, in a, a, a very special kind of deal. And even then you might have to take some of the salary – you know, and split the difference with the team you're trading. Yeah, there's plenty of teams out there that are building, though. And if you give them some of your, you know, maybe not your top prospects, but some like medium level. No, prospects. You're going to have to give them your top prospects if you're sending jo- uh, Josh Reddick. Over uh, there, no, right? I mean, I don't I don't know if that's necessary. No, no. No, I mean, I'm saying you're going to have to send them like a, a very good prospect, probably a top 10 prospect at least, you know, and so that's. And the Astros, again, they, I mean, they have, the, the, again, J.B. Buskowskis, he was mentioned in the trade for Bryce Harper last year. Um, they have, like, Corbin Martin coming up. They still have Josh James. They have Forrest Whitley. So they've got, they got Framber Valdez. They've got a lot of young pitchers. Not all of them are going to pan out. That's why you have to decide as an organization, you know, which guys do we make available? Which guys do we improve our roster? Because the Astros are trying to win right now. They signed Michael Brantley this offseason. Uh, they're continuing to add to their lineup. They were in on Nelson Cruz until the last minute. So that should tell you something yeah, as well, too. I, I want to friend- ask you about that. Just hold on with the Nelson Cruz thing, because I want to ask you, uh, why are the Astros looking for I, I keep hearing they're looking for DHs? And, 
you know, I'm perfectly fine with going into the season with Tyler White, but what the Astros, to me, should be thinking about in terms of DH is, you know, they they picked up the, you know, they picked up the guy from Toronto. Uh, I'm going to screw his name up every time, but Aldemus Diaz, I think. But they picked him up, and you know, you've got all of these uh, players that you want to occasionally DH anyways. You want to give more time off to Altuve, and, and you've got Correa coming off a an injury this past year and he's got some back issues you want those guys to dh and and you also like somebody like a tyler white and you kind of want to rotate some guys around i I don't i don't understand why they're looking for dh well first of all if they had marwin gonzalez back again it would be kind of a different story with the versatility there they're going to have amadis diaz but he's not marwin gonzalez so then you kind of are looking around your infield you're going to have like you said you have those guys and potentially get injured but they want to make sure that this year which is again forgetting Michael Brantley, but they, you know, last year the Astros weren't the the hitting team that they were in 2017. And I know that you like Tyler White a lot, and he had some clutch hits and everything like that. But he's not a proven commodity. He's not proven bat there. And if you can go out and get somebody like Nelson Cruz, who you know can hit 40 home runs, has been one of the you know, best players in baseball. I know he's getting up in age, or somebody of that ilk, or somebody of that caliber. That it, you know, it, I mean, they had just two years ago they had Carlos Beltran in that position. Okay, I mean that was he that was he was the DH, and so and they had a record-setting lineup, and you know so they're looking at ways. They're not going to have Brian – you know, they had Brian McCann in 2017. They don't have him. They have Robinson Chirinos right now. Maybe they get, like you said, uh, uh, JT uh, Realmuto or they sign somebody else. Who knows? They improve the catcher position. But they've already kind of improved the outfield yeah, at least. To me, to me, though, if you're worried about that so much, that's something that you can wait on and you could play Tyler White and Tony Camp at DH or whoever and you could piecemeal it. And whatever they got, so many guys to play that are good players, that are solid players. But I, I think that you put a lot of like you really after the playoff performance. Are you really ready to say Tyler White be the DH? I like I like well, Tony. Let me, fin- let me finish the, the let me finish the, the the answer to that. Like I said, that's something you can piecemeal until you see how things are going with Tyler White, and then you know that's maybe a midseason deal. It's not worth going out and spending. I I, I want them. If you're, if we're going to spend money in commodities, there's other places that I want to see them spend it on starting pitching. Well, the Astros are looking for a starting pitcher. I mean, again, like Jim Crane came out, he said we are looking for an additional bat and a starting pitcher. The real weakness in this lineup, as we know, is catching. It's the catching. That's the real weakness in the lineup for sure. No matter what happens, that's it. That's the weakness. Yeah, but if if you're number nine hitter, yeah. So that's why if you can add another bat somewhere else, and then you still have your catcher, and you. Again, I don't know the Astros. They look; they'll make acquisitions in season two if they're they're up there. But I agree with you about the starting pitching. I'd want to allocate resources there. Then you have to look at beyond this season. You know, who do they sign to a long term deal? Because both uh, Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole can walk after you know, 2019, and then you're left with a it, it, you know. Uh, Lance McCullers coming back after Tommy John surgery. Yeah, uh, you know, then you have Forrest Whitley. He'll probably get called up and be a central arm in the in the rotation at some point this season. But I mean, you don't have that that bona fide ace if both of those guys walk, and that's what's kind of scary right now. But at least for this upcoming season, that's why the Astros are going for it this upcoming season. They know they have Verlander. They know they have Cole. They know they're in their window right now. They know that, you know, George Springer's contract's coming up, too. In a couple of years, there'll be Carlos Correa. They're not going to be able to sign all these guys long term. They're not going to be able to sign. You know, they have Jose Altuve, they know. And, you know, maybe uh, an Alex Bregman, they sign up to a long term deal. Maybe Carlos Correa. Who knows? Maybe one of the pitchers. Uh, Maybe they get a little bit of an extension with Justin Verlander or they sign a long-term deal with Garrett Cole, but maybe not. Maybe they don't have any of those things. So that's why you have to go for it this year. They're all in. Their tips are all in the middle of the table and going to see where where they go at this upcoming season. But at the same time, the good thing about the Astros is that they've been developing talent at the minor league level. They still have a strong farm system. So that just what we mentioned earlier, you know, you're able to trade somebody like J.D. Davis and get back. And you talk to uh, Astros future Jimmy Price about this. You're able to get somebody back like a Luis Santana, who is, you know, kind of a highly regarded prospect in the the Mets organization for a guy that uh, the Astros didn't even figure into their 2019 plans, really, except as a backup or or depth uh, on the roster. He wasn't going to be, you know, 
he might not even made the opening day roster, right? It's kind of like the same thing with like a Derek Fisher, if you can trade him or the, the year before um, when they were able to, uh, you know, trade off Colin Moran. These are guys that not necessarily were going to factor into the Astros season. So, I mean, you have to look at it from that perspective, too, that the Astros continually are still building, having that minor league debt. But, um, you know, that's that's where they're going to that's where their bread and butter is going to be. And that's why I think Jeff Luna has been holding out on guys like Forrest Whitley and uh, Kyle Tucker, because he knows that, you know, eventually some of these guys are going to walk. You've got to be able to. That's how the Astros became great. You know, they, they'll still have the money to spend on certain players on the roster, but they have to have that continual pipeline from the minor leagues. Hey, RG, we've got some uh, podcast competition from uh, Astros 2019 starting pitcher Colin McHugh. Have you heard it yet? I have not yet, but I did hear about him doing that. Yeah, and I think it's great. I mean, if you can get, you know, a Major League Baseball player to enter the podcast space and interview his fellow MLB players and have a good time with it. And also we as an audience get to find out information from them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to listening to Colin McHugh. He, I think Lance McCullers was his first guest. Is that right? I think it was McCullers. So, yeah, it should be should be fun to, to listen to him. And, hey, the more the merrier in the podcast space. So uh, uh, just one last uh, thing, RG, we've got to talk about the Houston Cougar basketball team. Does anybody care in Houston? I'm trying to gauge if there's even – a modicum of like, hey, the Cougars, look at what's going on. They're in the top well, 20. Aren't people going to the Tillman Fertitta Center? Aren't they going to watch games there? And they revamped that. Don't they have more people attending? So I think there's more enthusiasm for it, right? It, it's better, but I just, I want to hear the buzz a little bit from the Cougars because I think this is really cool. I mean, they're, what are they, 17 and one or something like They've lost one game all season. They're top 20, I think 17th in the most recent poll. Uh, and, Guess what? There's only like five, you know, like six, seven weeks left before we get into the uh, we get into the NCAA tournament stuff. So it's it's not that far down the road. And they've lost one game, and they're just I, I watch the games and they're winning with just incredible defense. Their defense is just ridiculous, and you know they've got a couple of really good players, a couple of really good offensive players. But uh, it's fun, and yeah, I, hopefully uh, the Fertitta Center. Uh, people will continue to go out and continue to support them and stuff like that. But it's pretty cool. What did you, by the way, what did you think of the Dana Holgerson hire and, and get rid of get, getting rid of Major Applewhite? I know you followed him since his UT uh, quarterback days. Well, I like Major. I mean, I always liked him when he was a quarterback with the University of Texas. But I mean, as a as a head coach, I mean, he I don't think he was cutting it at U of H and taking over Tom Herman's recruits. And I, I could see why they made a, a, a move there. I mean, I've, I'm disappointed. It felt bad for for Major, but I could see where they want to just kind of you know elevate the program and getting Dana Holgerson. I mean, a successful Big Twelve coach to come and you know, be with the Houston Cougars football program. I mean, I think that's a great hire. Uh, just he has to find the right defensive coordinator, right? I mean, he's one of those guys that's all offense. So you just make sure that you – he's like a Cliff Kingsbury who went to the Arizona Cardinal. Make sure you have your, your right defensive coordinator, right? Because, I mean, those guys are – they're they're really uh, offensive geniuses, but you know you don't want to have to win games where you're you know where it's uh you know sixty, you know four to you know fifty seven. So you don't want to have those, but um, you you also want to still have a top quality defense. But I also think it kind of like I I still look at the Houston Cougars and it gets back to what you were saying about basketball and the passion and enthusiasm. Until they move to some bigger conference, and that's what I think they're aiming to do with all these improvements to the facilities and uh, the stadiums and the arenas and the money into the athletic programs. I mean, it's eventually whenever the we have the musical chairs again and the conferences, whether it's the Big 12 or it's the Pac-12 or uh, some other conference. I mean, U of H wants to be a part of the 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 larger you know, conferences and, and that gets people excited. If you're playing Texas and Texas A&M, or you're playing, you know, if you were in the PAC 12 and you're playing, um, you know, Colorado and, uh, USC and, uh, UCLA, I mean, or whatever conference you move to, you know, I mean, that would be, that would is what it's no slide against the current conference. And especially it's a great basketball conference. When you have Wichita state, you have temple, you have Memphis, 
you have Tulsa, you know, you have all these kind of like really good programs over the years that are in the same conference, but it's in Connecticut, of course, you know, it's won national championships. Um, but it's just not the same for, at least for people in Texas, for people in Houston, as they see, oh my gosh, it's Texas and Texas A&M and SEC or the big 12, or, you know, you look out the, you know, the big name programs out wherever it is in the country. I mean, it's just, it's a different mindset in Houston. And I, I think until it's back to that type of thing where the stature of the program rises that level, I think that's what the leadership is looking to do. Um, you're always going to have kind of a little bit of fit until it gets to the NCAA tournament. And then everybody will be excited about Houston if they're in the NCAA tourney and making a run. I mean, because that's that's national exposure right there. Last thing I want to hit on is uh, we I mean, we, do you agree with that or what is I mean, you didn't say anything, would you? Uh, yeah, no, it's I agree. I mean, I agree with uh, all the stuff that you said. I mean, I just, you know, it's it, it, basketball. I just want to see this town get into it a little bit because, you know, the, basketball, everybody's on an even ground. It's not like football. So it's just a, that's a whole different story. But uh, we, we did our top 10 sports movies of all time. I, I picked my top 10 favorites in order and as well as Greg Lucas. Was and, it basketball? Did basketball top the top of your list there? Was that Bob Bob Costas made a cameo on, on the mic? Yeah, on exactly. Movie? And Al Michaels in that one, right? <laughs> What's your hey? You you didn't get in on this, and I'm just curious. What's your favorite sports movie of all time? Oh, I don't. Gosh, it'd be. I, I mean, there's. I mean, there are a lot that I really, really like a lot. Like, I mean, Hoosiers is great. I mean, I mean, Rudy's a great film. I, I mean, I love Field of Dreams, and you know, Natural. I mean, there are a lot of sports movies that are that are really great. I mean, it's hard to to pick just one. Dodgeball. I'd have, I'd have to think about it. Which one? Dodgeball. Yeah, dodgeball, true underdog story. There you go, on ESPN the Ocho. Uh, that's that's uh, another classic. I mean, I, I only, you almost have to divide it up into categories because it's like, you know, great sports comedies. It's much different than sports dramas. And then if you're throwing documentaries in there now, do you include like the Thirty for Thirty series that have had some great documentaries that weren't theatrically released? We we did that. We uh, we included document. I mean, you just kind of threw them all in there and. Uh, there might be a 30 for 30 or two. There might be some documentaries. Go, go check. I mean, I just beg everybody to go check that out. I put a lot of work in there. There might be some clips from movies. There's some music. Uh, I worked hard to kind of produce that one. So, uh, listen to it if you get the chance. And I want some feedback info at Houston sports talk.net. Our email, it's in, it's in the description of every podcast in case you forget, but just uh, let me know. I'd like to know what people thought of that show, what people thought of the list. Uh, you know, write me, give me your, some of your favorites. We'll we'll uh, read them the next time we do a podcast because uh, I'd love to hear. I'm always interested in that kind of thing. But uh, we're me and RG both huge movie fans, so we definitely want to hear from you on that. But uh, good to have RG back, and uh, thanks so much for everybody that uh, is listening. And also, don't forget, uh, go on iTunes. Uh, say something nice, write a review. If nothing else, give us a five-star over there. That helps the show, helps people uh, come to us. But uh, until next time, we'll talk to you again real soon.